Now promise me you'll go right off to sleep because Daddy has got to go out on some very important business. But Daddy, read yeah. me a story first, please. Yeah, well, 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 well no, it'll we'll have to be a quick one then. All right, Daddy. All right then. <clears throat> well, once upon a time... Oh, I know that one. Oh, do you? Yes. Well, this is a different once upon a time. Oh. Once upon a time, there were three bears. Why? There was a... Father bear, close your eyes, mother bear and baby bear. They mother, only have one baby. Yes, they only had one baby. Why? Just like us, only one baby. Huh. Now then, father bear and the mummy bear made some porridge and it was too hot, so they decided to go out and let it cool down. Why? Because it was too hot. Now, just try to go to sleep because Dada is pushing against time as important business, you know, and you're a big girl now. Anyway, along came Goldilocks. Do you like Mummy? Yeah, well, of course I like Mummy. Why? Because, because we, she's, she's Mummy. Uh, you see? <coughs> anyway, Goldilocks. Well, the little boy at school called Egbert, he's got a mummy. Do yes. you like her then? No, no, I, I, you see, I, I like mummy because, well, we're married. We have to like each other. Well, if I married you, then yeah, I have to like you. No, you couldn't marry me because I'm your father. It's, it's not, we, it, anyway, Goldilocks. Who's Goldilocks? Goldilocks, she's a girl from the, she's, she's in the forest. And she came across this beautiful hut, and she said, "Oh, why? I must go." Oh, why? Well, why was there a hut in the forest? It was, it was a house where where the three bears lived, and oh. they gone out. Remember? I never heard of bears living in houses. No, no, I'm sure you didn't. Look, now time is getting on. You should be asleep hours Daddy, ago. What? Why have you got a big nose? Well, it's not ultra big. It's not. Because... Well, when I have a big nose when I grow up... You would in a minute before you grow up. You, oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Here's, here's, here's a shilling. Look, put it under your pillow and in the morning there'll be a tooth. Now, three bears now. They all went, came back and she'd eaten. She'd eaten and she'd broken the chair and she was upstairs in bed. Why did she break the chair? Because she sat on it. She, was she naughty she, then? She wasn't naughty. Oh, look at the time. You should be asleep hours ago, you know. Well, anyway, back came the three bears and they said, Oh, who's been sitting on my chair? And who, who's and been was that Goldilocks that was sitting on her chair it, then? Yes, now, can, can't you do it? Were they angry with her then? They, they weren't angry. No, they were just But well, why playful. did she go in the house? Because anyway. it was raining. In the wood? In the wood. But couldn't she have stood under a tree or she something? She could have like? sat under a tree. I wish she had now. But anyway, she went up and, of course, her father was a woodman and he came back and he chopped off all the red and she lived happily ever after. Oh. Now then, you must try to go to sleep now. Yes, but the, if he chopped off all the heads, they yes. couldn't live happily ever Oh, after they could. The they, they lived separately. Oh. I suppose you'd call me an average, Joe. Everything about me is pretty normal for a 35-year-old guy. I've got a pleasant job, a nice family, ordinary, run-of-the-mill life. So it came as a great surprise to me when I tunneled to the center of the earth with titanium teeth and became king of the mall people. <laughs> but perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself. It all started last Tuesday morning when I came down to breakfast. My lovely wife, Janet, stood at the stove in her usual cotton frock, frying my usual omelette. 
My lovely daughter Trudy gave me my usual morning kiss, and as usual, she said, Good morning, Daddy. Well, my usual reaction to all of this is to hug my wife and kiss Trudy, but last Tuesday, my reaction was totally unexpected. I snarled and salivated and threw over the carefully set breakfast table, and then I dove through the kitchen window. No, it was Wednesday. But that's not important. Now, I've always had good teeth. Dad's side of the family there. Yet, until that day, I had no idea that they were made out of indestructible titanium alloys and that my entire jaw could extend out five feet in front of me and dig like a massive mandible at a blur of speed. So I started burrowing straight down to the center of the earth through clay, rock, and burning seas of molten lava. And the craziest thing, I didn't get my characteristic heat rash. Well, at last I crashed through into Mole World, this odd inverted land inside the earth where everything is upside down. And above your head, at the center of the earth, is this glowing sphere that provides light for the Mole people. Isn't it always the way, the things you see when you don't have a camera? (laughs) Then suddenly I heard a terrible din. I snuck forward, and there in the clearing before me, a ferocious battle was being fought. The cruel groundhog people were hacking apart the sweet little button-eyed mole people with broadswords and battle axes. Well, faster than you could say, Jack Robinson, there I was in the thick of it all, attacking and killing... Scores of groundhogs with my blade-like teeth. Well, that turned the battle for the mole people. The groundhogs were vanquished, the home team had won, and all because of me. The grateful mole people carried me triumphantly through the twisted streets of Mole City. Thousands of moles cheered me on. I was carried to the palace where, for the first time in my life, a brunch was held in my honor. I was feasted with grubs and roots and steaming flagons of lava. Quite a change for a meat and potatoes man like me. The writhing mole dancing girls surrounded me, stretching and clawing the air suggestively. I drank, I sang, I I joined them in their riotous debauch. My glasses fogged. Then suddenly the multitude grew expectant turning to bow before a regal carriage that was pulled by a giant earthworm. It stopped before me. Quite a rig, I thought. Now, I've been married to a lovely gal for seven happy years, but when I saw Num Nu the Mole Queen step from her carriage, I threw caution to the wind. She was clad only in shimmering translucent robes, which did nothing to conceal her twelve pert teats. I drew her into my furry arms. I pressed my eager lips to her fragrant snout. Our two bodies commingled, and we rutted in full sight of the screaming, cheering multitudes who joined us in an orgy of excess to celebrate the defeat of the groundhog enemy. Well, the next day, of course, I was back at work. 
I hugged my wife and kissed Trudy. Janet was pretty good about the whole thing. She forgave me, but she added somewhat tartly that she'd never understand what I did in a million years. That's why this morning when she grew gills and rocketed through the roof, I just had to smile. I just had to smile. I went to see a a play right here lately. It was one of them classical plays. And it was uh, was wrote by a fellow named William Shakespeare that lived over here in the old country here a while back. And it's a play, it's called Hamlet. And it was named after this young boy Hamlet that appeared in the play. And it was pretty good, except that they don't speak as good English as we do. (laughs) Now, let's see, Hamlet, he, he lived... He lived in this castle over in the old country with his mama and daddy. You know where it was that his daddy was king over this land. And also living with him there was a fellow named Claudius. Now, Claudius was Hamlet's uncle on his daddy's side. And before the play ever opened, this fellow Claudius plotted and killed Hamlet's daddy so that he might gain the throne and then married Hamlet's mama. And that made him Hamlet's stepdaddy. And, well, all do try to remember that if you can, because you will need it later on. (laughs) Now, there was a fellow, Polonius, he lived there. He was a kind of advisor to the king. And there was a fellow named Horatio. He was Hamlet's buddy. He lived there. Then there was a girl named Ophelia that was visiting there. She was Hamlet's sweetheart that he had met at BYPU. (laughs) And... uh, well, there's all, there's all kinds of maids and soldiers and stable boys and things like that that live there too, you know. And remember, before the play ever opens up, Hamlet's daddy's already dead. And when it, when it opens up, it opens up on these two soldiers that was a standing guard one night. And this ghost come up on them. And one, one, one of them says, one of them says, hark. Said, no, they said hark a whole lot back then. He said... He says, Hark, what thing is this I see before me? And the other one says, Let us flee and seek out young Hamlet, for behold, it bears a visage like unto his father. And it, it did, too. It looked just exactly like him. You, you couldn't have took a better picture up town. They, they were in the house to get Hamlet, but he had just come in from high school and was tired and had went on to bed. But anyhow, they told him about it, and he got on up and put his britches on and went on outdoors with them. And when he got there, the ghost started talking to him. Says, Behold, Hamlet, says, Look on me, for I am the ghost of thy father. Then it went on to tell him, you know, how it was that Claudius had plotted and killed him, you know, like I told you a while ago. Well, when he got on telling him, it made Hamlet swear to seek out vengeance on his former uncle and present stepdaddy, Claudius. And after Hamlet swore it, while the ghost went on off, and none of them ever seen it after that, and it, w- it was right there that Hamlet gave that soliloquy about being or not being. And, uh, well, for them that don't know, a soliloquy is a kind of a self-talk. You know, it is. Where you kindly, you know, sit and look away off and kindly talk to yourself. And that's what he was doing. Only he wasn't sitting down, he was walking. And when he, when he come close to the end of it, he come up on this young girl, Ophelia. And he says to himself, he says, soft, 
I see Ophelia fire. Well, he sat down and started talking to her. Asked her how she was and how her daddy was and how her mama was and different ones. And while he was talking, he looked and he seen a fella hiding behind a cedar chest. And he did, and he took out his sword and he run the fella. He run him upstairs and he run him downstairs. But he couldn't catch him and it made him mad and he come back to Ophelia mad at her. And he hit her in the face and he throwed her on the ground. And he, he, he says, get thee to a nunnery. For thy face is a vile thing before my eyes. Now, it, it was right here that Hamlet first started acting like that he wasn't all that. <laughs> well, he... See... Well, see, he figured, he figured that the people that plotted and killed his daddy thought that he wasn't right in his mind. They'd talk around him, you know, but, but they didn't. One night he was up in his mama's room telling her good night. And he looked over there, and he seen these curtains rustle just the least little bit. And he eased out his sword, and he, he aged over to where it was the curtains was rustling. And he run the fella through, and the fella fell, and he seen it was that fella Polonius that I told you about a while ago. Well, what he done, he picked him up and took him over and throwed him out this little window in this creek that run by, and none of them ever missed him after that. It was right after that that this carnival come through. Sideshow show folks, you know. They come through and Hamlet had them to put on a show exactly the way that the murder of the king was committed. And let me tell you, when they got to the place in the play that the king was killed, Hamlet's stepdaddy got up out of his chair and he says, Hold. He says, Cease this wild carrying on and evil acting in the palace of the king. And he run them all out of the house. And it was right there that Hamlet first knew that he was going to have to get even with his stepdaddy for killing his daddy. And it was also right there that Hamlet's stepdaddy knew that he was going to have to get shut of that boy or he'd have trouble out of it. <laughs> well, what he'd done, what he'd done was the next day he put on a big sword fight between Hamlet and another fellow. And he, he give this other fellow a sword with a poison point on it. And he give Hamlet a plain sword, and he had a bowl full of poison wine for Hamlet to drink just in case he won the sword fight. Well, he put up his hands, and he says, lay on. And they went to it, Hamlet backed the fellow, and he fell it back Hamlet, and back and forth like that for a while, until pretty soon Hamlet got cut on the arm by that poison sword. And he commenced to weaken, but he fit harder than he ever did, and he kept backing the fellow off and backing him off till he run him through. And the fellow fell dead. And Hamlet went over to take a drink of that poison wine, and his mama, she knowed it was poison. She took it and drunk it herself, and she fell dead. And then Hamlet, with his last breath, went up to his stepdaddy and run him through, and the stepdaddy fell dead. And then Hamlet, he had done about all he could do, and he fell dead. <laughs> and it's a pretty good show. <laughs> and, and the moral of it is, though, I reckon, if you... If you was to ever kill a fella and then marry his wife, I'd be extra careful not to tell my stepson. <laughs> you said to her I'd like a cheeseburger And I might like a milkshake as well She said to him I can't give you either Yes, it is. 
but we're closed now. But we open tomorrow at 10. It said I am extremely hungry, but I guess I can't wait.
live a street near Plymouth Hoe, where Faelers like to go. There's an inn there called the Fawthy Puffy Cat. There's a broken-hearted gal, but the name of Sad-Eyed Fell. On her feet, beside the bar, you'll find her fat. Fill with the sweet nothings in your ear, sip your wine and frig your beer, or sing a simple song, though slightly flat. Used to juggle with a carrot, four bananas and a parrot, but things got hard and he had to eat the ant. So fed a tear, fed a tear, or fed I fell, fed I fell. All her hopes and dreams will fade and fall apart. And beef in fear, beef in fear, to your own girl. Remember, in your hand you hold a young girl's heart. To the seaman, he was a prize. A real fight for four eyes, and the officer they smiled on her as well. And Captain Sidney Smart took one look, then lost his heart, though he swore he'd marry Lady Susan Snell. One night Sid felt a softly five, so said, "I'll love you till I die. Let me feel it. Let me feel it with a kiss." The sound of anger filled the air. Sidney fell for Susan there. He held a knife and snarled, so it has come to this. The knife was aimed at Selfoff Cuffin. He parried with a cuffin. It went spinning, thunder vaulting through the air. It ended up in Sydney. Just below his kidney, Sue ran screaming when she saw him lying there. But said a tear, said a tear, or had I'd found, all her hopes and dreams will fade and fall apart, fall apart. and beef in fear, to your own girl. Remember, in your hand you hold another's heart. Fell rough to Sydney side. Oh, speak to me, she cried. She poured some whiskey down him from a nearby glass. And she nursed him night and day, and discreetly turned away when she gave him his injection in his cup. To his cheeks there came a fluff. He kissed her hand that made her bluff. She smiled happily to see him getting well. Soon he could stand on his own feet and walk unaided down the street. So he went off and married Lady Susan Snell. Oh, fed a tear, or had I fell? All her hopes and dreams will fade and fall apart. And beef in fear, to your own girl. Remember, in your hand you hold your lover's heart. If you're ever Plymouth way and down that street you chance to stray, and your mood is carefree and adventurous. Think carefully before you venture through the door beneath the swinging sign of that fly old puff. Go and drink with filthy fairer, or cattle market Clara, or knickers Nell. They're all sweet and refined. But if my word you do not trust, and drink with Sal you must. Remember, she has suffered, so be kind. And if, when she've had a few, you hold her close to you. You think you're in a dream, though you're awake. Don't be taken by surprise if Winfrey's closed her eyes. She calls you, darling Sydney, by mistake. Just fed a tear, for fat I'd fell. All her hopes and dreams will fade and fall apart, and beef in fear. To your own girl. Remember, in your hand you hold your lover's heart.
owl and the pussy cat went to sea in a beautiful pea green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, oh pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are, you are, you are. What a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, you elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married. Too long we have tarried, but what shall we do for a ring? They sailed away for a year and a day to the land where the bong tree grows. And there in a wood, a piggy wig stood with a ring at the end of his nose, his nose, his nose, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were married next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon and hand in hand on the edge of the sand. They danced by the light of the moon, the moon, the moon. They danced by the light of the moon. Ooh, 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 ooh. The dead of the night, the hood owl in flight, and the devil's laughing at me. The night I was born it was said that the owls hooted and flew all night long An omen that I was an unlucky child, a sign that I'd surely go wrong As I grew to manhood I trembled in fear When the owls would hoot mournfully I grew up believing my soul had been claimed And the devil was laughing at me The people all said that my mind was no good There was madness and hate in my eyes Wild with the drink, I shot old Charlie Links, and they sent me to prison for life. I had a girl they call Lucille V. Dream. We met and we loved secretly. She'd hold me inside, but the owls would cry like the devil's laughing at me. The dead of the night, the owl in flight, and the 
was laughing at me I'd just been in prison for three weeks or more When Lucille's first letter arrived She said she expected a baby that fall And she wanted me there by her side I stabbed the first guard and I strangled two more Determined that I would be free The searchlights were beamed and the hoot owl screamed Like the devil was laughing at me When I reached Lucille's there were lights in the house And there in the hallway I found Lucille lying dead with a gun at her head With crimson on her cotton gown I ran from the house to the swamps that I knew As I ran I heard the hounds bay And one other sound that was running me down The devil was laughing at me They caught me in here on the gallows I stand They'll drop me to eternity One moment of fear and the last sound I hear Is the devil laughing at me
Last night, for the first time in the week, I got on this train and just passed out in a seat. Boy, I tell you, that's the last alfalfa baler's convention I'll ever attend. I was heading back home, all tarred and broke. But hard, this morning when I woke, I looked out the window and I knew I was somewhere I never had been. Bad words and dirty names. Myself is on the wrong track. 
and my house was 500 miles the other way. Actually, I guess I really shouldn't complain, just, you know, because I'm on the wrong train. At least I'm, well, I'm only 500 miles from home. Boy, wouldn't it have been a kick in the head if last night I'd have staggered home to one of them jets? Do you realize I could have woke up this morning in Rome? How about that? Got off at a watering stop. I seen this guy kind of resting there on this rock. I told him my sad story, and I asked him what he thought I ought to do. But well, he wasn't a bit of help because he introduced himself. He said, "My name's Bear, buddy. I know what you're going through." Words and dirty names. Myself is on the wrong train, and my house is 500 miles the other way. I done come 500 miles the wrong way.
So once upon a time, they say, and turns out they were right. More than once at a time, perhaps. We'll have to figure that out on our own. Uh, good evening, my friends. KBC here at the Bitslap. Uh, got a scratchy throat tonight. I don't know why, and it's okay because um, I don't have to say anything for a couple more days. Okay. Anyway, we have stories tonight because it's really cold and windy outside here. Perfect night for gathering together by a fire, perhaps, and everybody tells a story. Well, I got the stories for you tonight, um, so you don't have to worry about that. You just sit back and listen, and uh, everything will be fine. We started out with the bedtime story, oddly enough. That was Eric Sykes and Hattie Jacques. They were kind of fugitives from um, the Carry On group and uh, did, a, did an album of their own of stuff like this. Uh, I'll see if I can find anything more. Um, don't hold your breath, all right? The King of the Mole people was the Frantics from Canada. Andy Griffith, his whale on Hamlet, right? Uh, and then the Veggie Tales. Remember the Veggie Tales? Weren't they cute? That was uh, the cheeseburger song. Uh, from Veggie Tales, yes, sir. From um, I guess was, were they, were, what were they? Early '90s or something? I don't know. But uh, after that, London and the bridges, the city I was born in. It sounded almost like Boston, didn't it? Uh, anyway, all right. So, Fat-eyed Fowl was Benny Hill, 1972. Uh, we heard from Donovan, the Owl and the Pussycat. That was a thing written by Edward Lear. Edward Lear was a poet. Uh, uh, artist, uh, limerick maker. You like limericks? You can blame him, but uh, a, a big purveyor of nonsense. Uh, my friend, okay? I have to look into him because I didn't know that. All right, devil was laughing at me. You laughing at me? Don't ever say that to the devil. All right, that was Jimmy C. Newman. Uh, Tony O.K. after that from 78. That was Willie and the pig man. Stay away from the pig man. 200, uh, no, 500 miles the wrong way. Whoa, that was worse. Uh, that was Don Bowman, of course, continuing a long tradition uh, of going the wrong way for Don. And we heard from Traffic, 40,000 Headsmen, from their first album way back in 67. Okay, so uh, story time is coming. Um, say, p- pick out a nice story uh, of your own for after the show, and we'll all listen to it, okay? Uh, meanwhile, I got this. Met a beautiful princess in the land of Ubladi. She smiled and said, Ubadilia, meaning you appeal to me. I said, Ubadilia, Labindu, with pride. Ubadilia, Labindu, let's take a ride. In the land of Ubladi, Ubladi, she drove me straight to her castle. In the land of Ubladi. There I met her two sisters, Bluey Da and Dewey Blee. Bluey Da, without a doubt, was twice my size. Dewey Blee, the other sister, had three eyes. And the two had eyes for me, oh, bloody. I love the beautiful princess from the land of Ubladi. I asked her, Ubi Da, Blue, darling, will you marry me? She said, Ubadilia Blasi La E Blue, there is nothing in this land I'd rather do. In the land of Ubladi, Ubladi, they led me straight to the altar. In the land of Ubladi, I 
had a very bad feeling Things did not look right to me So before I said I do, I looked aside They had pulled the switcheroo, they changed the bride Oh, they can't do that to me, oh, bloody When I saw the princess Who was waiting there for me Now we say Meaning I will always be in love with you It happened in bloody bloody Just outside of Johnson City On a dark and twisting road In a Kenworth 18-wheeler With a heavy shifting load He was pushing through to Binghamton Though the hour was getting late Pfizer's finest on a mission To the pharmacies upstate He was on a holy mission There were men who couldn't wait For his 30,000 pounds of Viagra He clocked 700 miles since he climbed into the rig Just another 25 or so Would finish up that gig But the trailer hit an oil slick And down the hill did slide Oh my Till it landed at the bottom In the town's water supply It was instant rigor mortis What a hard way to die Save your son, shield your daughters, there's Viagra, Viagra in the water. All over Johnson City, people rising with the dawn. They drank their morning coffee, took their showers, watered lawns. And who could have predicted all the changes up ahead? Men were getting up for work. And heading back to bed So many called in sick You would have thought the virus spread Down at the courthouse coffee shop They stared in disbelief As a pack of thirsty lawyers Started filling out their briefs But at a local college Young men appeared much smarter No chromosomal mysteries They simply studied Harder. Now water on the rocks is the latest party starter. Save your sons, shield your daughters, there's Viagra, in the water. The Johnson City firemen, they curse their wretched luck. They could not get their fire hoses wound back on the truck Sprinkling holy water at a funeral Father Ryan said Oh, you know what he said I know I've saved their souls But I've never raised the dead 
Would a couple strong men help me now to close the casket lid? Old man Weisberg took the shower of his life. Then he marched into the kitchen and he called out to his wife. She knew something was up as he stood naked at the table. Holding two cups of coffee and a half a dozen bagels. It had been at least a decade since the last time he was able. Save your son, shield your daughters. Funny place to keep a door, I said. She smiled, revealing a row of even white chewing gum. M told me his wife had been abducted by Sting, a criminal organization run by Queen Bee, the most evil woman in the world. M said his wife must be silenced at all costs, not because she knew state secrets, but because her talking drove him crazy. He told me I was going to Bangkok. I can fight as dirty as the next man. So we shook hands, our knuckle dusters clanking together. I realized this was going to be dangerous and left London in a blue funk, brown suit and pale green socks. I arrived at Bangkok Airport and hung around waiting to be kidnapped. Somebody always kidnaps me at airports. I don't mind, it saves on cab fares. At last I was approached by someone wearing a feathered headdress, wall paint and a kilt. He was Queen Bee's personal bodyguard, a Scottish Indian called Hawkeye the New. My name is James Bond, I said. No doubt you've heard of me. Ugh, me no dinner can you, laddie, he replied. I was surprised. What, you know no 007, I asked. Suddenly, I was hit from behind with a monkey wrench by the biggest monkey you ever saw. I woke up to find myself chained to a bed of nails in Queen Bee's mountaintop retreat. Twelve lovelies were lashing me with electric whips. They didn't scare me. I'd been trained to withstand torture. Suddenly, they put on a Des O'Connor LP. That did it. A man can take just so much. I started to struggle free when Queen Bee entered the room. Ah, the famous James Bond, she said. She looked like Raquel Welsh, Elizabeth Taylor, and Gina Lollobrigida rolled into one. A big fat slob. I've heard you're a great lover, and I must find out. She kissed me passionately. 
Oh, she sighed. Where did you learn to kiss like that? Sucking porridge through a straw, I told her. She asked me to give up my career as a spy and rule the world with her. I laughed scornfully. All right, Bond, she said. Then you must pay the price. Somehow I had to escape. With a supreme effort, I yanked myself free. Hawkeye jumped on me and we locked in a gargantuan struggle. He got me with an Irish whip, a half Nelson, and a Dutch uncle. I retaliated with a Red Admiral, a Black and Tan, and a Dick Van Dyke. I broke from his grasp and ran into the corridor. Suddenly, I came face to face with M's wife. I recognized her immediately. She used to be famous as a model for Toby Jones. I grabbed her hand and raced for freedom with Queen Bee's henchmen in hot pursuit. We managed to reach Queen Bee's private jet and took off with bullets whizzing round my flaps. That made me sweat. Once safely in the air, I bombarded Queen Bee's hideout and watched as the mountain exploded into a roaring inferno. I delivered Mrs. M back to the chief. I thought he would get me a knighthood. Instead, he had me demoted. This is James Bond, Traffic Warden, 007-423, signing off. I write to you for the last time from my deathbed, oh dear mother. My health is gone. I'm fading fast and I fear I'll not recover. I've lost a hundred pounds, my hair, my sight, and this illness had its nexus. The day I judged the red hot chili cook-off in Jalapeno, Texas. As you know, in Tennessee, you fed us normal things. Yeah, like Tabasco seasoned barbecue and spicy chicken wings. But I've got a friend down here in Texas who's a chili cook-off judge. And on the day of the statewide cook-off, he lay sick and could not budge. I'm sicker than a dog, he said. You'll have to take my place. All you do is pick the chili you like after giving them all a taste. So, of course, I did what I had to do to help out my old friend. That decision ruined my life and brought me to this sorry end. Do not eat Texas chili, mama, or you will surely die. Don't even mention Texas chili to me. I will tell you why. Just the thought will fire up memories that will wreck my solar plexus. Of the day I judged the red hot chili cook-off in Jalapeno, Texas. They led me to the judge's stand and sat me in my place. Put three bowls of chili in front of me, just to sample, just to taste. Number one was dragon's breath, and it had such a nice aroma. I took off a big old bite that nearly slipped into a coma. Oh, oh, sweet Lord, what is this stuff? My uvula's on fire. My ears are ringing and my nose is running and my feet are starting to perspire. Then number two was called Flamethrower and it was not misnamed. One taste, my eyes, ears, nose and throat all shot out long blue flame. Help somebody, call 911. I don't think I can breathe. I can't seem to catch my breath and all I can do is wheeze. Then I heard somebody screaming, 
screaming uncontrollably. I turned to see who it was, and Lord have mercy, it is me. The winner was simply Charlie's Chili. Sounded innocent enough, but it knocked me backwards off the stand with one taste of the stuff. I got up running, looking for a doctor or an ice cold bottle of water. I downed a keg of beer and six snow cones, and it only made me hotter. It's been a year now, and I can only sip a smoothie now and then. If I try some solid food, the flames flare up again. I'm gone and burned and blistered from my mouth down to my colon. And what little skin that's left it all is inflamed and badly swollen. So I write to you, dear mother, just to say goodbye. And to warn you and the family of one thing before I die. Do not eat Texas chili. It'll put you in the ground. And even if you should survive, you won't be able to sit down. Do not eat Texas chili, mama, or you will surely die. Don't even mention Texas chili to me. And I will tell you why. Just the thought will fire up memories that'll wreck my solar plexus. Other day I judged the red hot chili cooked off in jalapeno, Texas. Big Jim was a man we were all proud to know. He was a legend in his own time. There was never a log he couldn't get out or a tree he couldn't climb. He was tough as a timber he'd logged all his life and sort of my hero, I guess. So when he'd tell me something, I'd listen real close and try to do my level best. There was one certain thing that he watched all the time. When the tail blocks were all out and hung, he'd inspect them himself and make sure they were right before the lines were all strung. When that rigging came tight, he'd yell down to me, don't just sit on that log like a lump. Keep your eye on things and make sure that tail hold don't get too high on the stump. That got to be his byline, the saying he used for any situation in life. Even the people who didn't know what it meant, like the banker and the lawyer and his wife. And when I'd ask his advice, like I always did, he'd just give my shoulder a thumb and say, Son, things will work out okay if you don't get your tail too high on the stump. He'd been acting kind of different those last few days. He just hadn't quite been at his best. But after all, he wasn't a kid anymore, and we just all thought he needed to rest. I thought it was odd when we strung out those lines, and he made us all stand in the clear. He said, keep out of the way, I'm going to check that tail hold one way back in the rear. I wanted to watch him, so I walked down a ways, 
where the ground swelled up into a hump. It's just like him, I thought, to make sure that tailhole is never too high on the stump. Then he stepped back a ways and looked up toward the sky and signaled for the lines to come tight. And the look on his face still haunts me sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night. Then I noticed something I couldn't believe. I waved and I started to shout. That tail hold was slipping. I wanted to warn him, but the words just wouldn't come out. And when those lines came loose, everything in their path was ripped right out of the ground. And there stood Jim looking up toward the sky. He didn't even turn around. When they hit him, they threw him a good 200 feet. He lit close by with a thump. He died in my arms, and his last words were, I got my tail hold too high on the stump. It was quite a while before I learned the truth, and then it was from his wife. She said, you see, Jim always wanted to die in the woods where he'd spent most of his life. He had a disease they just couldn't cure, and that's why he acted that way. He made sure no one else would get hurt, You were all well out of the way. He didn't want to die in some hospital bed, and his health had taken a bad slump. And that's why, for the very first time in his life, he got his tail hold too high on the stump. to work unless you crawl down in the mines and his mama knew the sounds of a man's lungs turning black so when daddy found another way to make a living it was easy to turn her back now rufus was the oldest and he knew bell county well he could hunt and fish like any grown man and take care of himself so his daddy put him to run and shine when he was just 12 years old said it might not Sure beats a mine cold And he'd say, run, Rufus, run Run across the mountain, darling Daddy wants you to take a load of shine To a man up near Harlan And he feared for his life Every time his daddy would put him on a run again He'd say, a boy's no match for the shotgun Blast from the gun of a revenue Back for the break of day. But as he turned on the highway 119, he heard three shotgun blasts, and his blood ran cold, and he wondered if this run be his last. And his mama never closed her eyes that night when he left home. She tossed and turned and walked the floor, praying nothing would go wrong. Cause her thoughts were on a stranger she'd heard about from town. He had a funny talk in a brand new car and been asking around. Oh, run, Rufus, run, run across the mountain, darling. Daddy wants you to take a load of shine to a man up near Harlan. And he feared for his life every time his daddy would put him on the run again. He'd say a boy's no match for the shotgun blast from the gun of a red. 
those curves and two wheels and a beautiful sedan. So we ran him of a holler and lost him somewhere around a Williams branch. There was one back road, but they didn't know they ever knew and never stood a chance. Oh, run, Rufus, run, run across the mountain, darling. Daddy, I want you to take a load of shine to a man up near Harlem. And he feared for his life every time his daddy would put him on a run again. He'd say, boy's no match for the shotgun and blast from the gun of a revenue man. Boys, no match for the shotgun blast from the gun of a revenue man. Dick Sawyer, I'll now sentence you to 99 years in jail. I got 99 years in jail Nobody would stand my bail The judge sent me to the joint They said I'm with a spawny bill But I didn't do it, I didn't do it Gotta get me out of this jail
went down to the company store Got him a big box of bullets To fit into his 44 The storeman said, son, are you gonna work? You know you owe me too much to stop John said, I got a little working to do But I ain't going by your clock People said John was a slacker Cause he wouldn't fight in their war A man wasn't much if he wouldn't fight Back in 1944 The doctor said John was just too sick to go But the people said that he was a coward And one of the men making fun of him Was a fella named Milton Howard Milton was down at the cold spring a drinking from a mason jar He said, John, you better get yourself to work You gonna fool around till you get fired John blew the dust from his old 44 Put two holes in Milton's head When Johnny walked off to get some more shooting done That old cold spring was running red The next guy he met was a Stigall boy and the boy had a hammer in his hand John said, son, you should have built yourself a box Cause you're headed for the promised land Stigall fell down to his knees to pray And he cried, Lord Johnny, please don't shoot Before he got halfway to saying amen When old John shot him out of his boot Word went out through the county That old John had lost his head The people were running and screaming There was seven of them lying there dead Johnny hid out in a farmhouse He had satisfaction in his eyes He said, I know they're coming to get me boys But they ain't gonna take me alive People gathered round that old farmhouse Was the relatives of all them dead Now John said if the sheriff comes through that door I'm gonna fill him plumb full of lead The sheriff kicked down that old farmhouse door But old John's gun would not shoot Johnny just smiled at the sheriff and said The Lord must think a lot of you they took old John to the jailhouse He entered in a guilty plea The judge said death in the electric chair Cause it's murder in the first degree John's last meal was a lot of fried chicken Cold beans and the baby squash He ate every bite that they brought him Then he smiled and said I thank you all a lot they put old John in the electric chair They shaved his ankles and his head The preacher said, son, you got something to say In a minute you're gonna be dead John said, I ain't no coward And the people know that I won't run Then Johnny smiled up at the warden and said Turn it on, turn it on
I was just out of the service thumbing through the classifieds When an ad that said old Chevy somehow caught my eye The lady didn't know the year or even if it ran But I had that thousand dollars in my hand It was way back in the corner of this old ramshackle barn With thirty years of dust and dirt on that green army tarp And when I pulled the cover off, it took away my breath What she called a Chevy was a 66 Corvette I felt a little guilty as I counted out the bills What a thrill I got when I sat behind the wheel I opened up the glove box and that's when I found the note The date was 1966 and this is what he wrote He said my name is Private Andrew Malone And if you're reading this, then I didn't make it home But for every dream that shattered, another one comes true This car was once a dream of mine, now it belongs to you Though you may take her and make her your own Always be riding with Private Malone Well, it didn't take me long at all I had her running good I love to hear those horses thunder underneath her hood I had her shining like a diamond And I'd put the rag top down All the pretty girls would stop and stare As I drove her through town Buttons on the radio didn't seem to work quite right But it picked up that oldie show, especially late at night I'd get the feeling sometimes if I turn real quick I'd see A soldier riding shotgun in the seat right next to me It was a young man named Private Andrew Malone Who fought for his country and never made it home But for every dream that shattered, another one comes true This car was once a dream of his back when it was new He told me to take her and make her my own And I was proud to be riding with Private Malone One night it was raining hard, I took the curve too fast I still don't remember much about that fiery crash But someone said they thought they saw a soldier pull me out They didn't get his name, but I know without a doubt It was a young man named Private Andrew Malone Who fought for his country and never made it home But for every dream that shattered, another one comes true This car was once a dream of his back when it was new And I know I wouldn't be here if he hadn't tagged along Yeah, that night I was right 
running fast on I-61, maybe three hours outside of Memphis, making good time and driving smooth. On course for the Elvis Presley souvenir shopping mall and pharmacy. It was only a 51 Hudson, but it was running like a dream. And about the only thing that stopped it being a perfect day, I couldn't get anything on the radio but Bobby Rydell, Howard Stern, or else Oral Roberts threatening to strike me dead if I didn't send him money. All in all, though, I was feeling pretty good, which made it come of something of a major surprise that I never made it to Memphis. From my own fault. I should never have taken those pills that were offered me in the men's room by a Mexican in a lime green matador suit that not even Prince would have the gold to wear. I was in his Denny's somewhere along the way. I'd only pulled in for a pack of cigarettes, a cup of coffee, some Jim Thompson fantasy about the waitress. I never stop at a place that only sells non-alcoholic beer. Moosey Den, Moosey Den, Jack. Now, the Mexican, he wanted five bucks a pop for these fuckers. But maybe I shouldn't have taken ten. But I was in the mood for conspicuous consumption. And the ghost of Elvis was at my shoulder. Maybe I should have suspected... But something was up when the Mexican made a secret hand signal and vanished. Carlos Castaneda comes in all shapes and sizes. Even then, though, there in that men's room, I never suspected that I wouldn't make it to Memphis. started with the flickerings at the corner of my eye that I dismissed for the time as being a result of not having slept for 48 hours straight. The bats came later. At first, they were content to loiter in the periphery of my vision, but after a while they got real, real bold and started flying alongside the car in formation like they were planning to bomb Dresden. It got really bad. I was going down this slight incline, and there was another car in sight. And then I ran into this waist-deep hammer horror, Edgar Allan Poe mist, and I began to realize that I wasn't going to make it to Memphis. 
hit the mist. All I could get on the radio is the angelic choir. And now the signs are written in Hittite. And at any moment, Rod Serling is going to come marching through the windshield, offering me for your consideration. Oh, God, oh, Graceland, am I in a lot of trouble. I have lost all sense of motion. My hands are turning blue. And there's definitely something wrong with space and time. And the Hudson has started to glow. Oh, shit. Here comes the monolith. What did I do to end up here? Like some post-Einstein zombie flying Dutchman in a wormhole that I can't get out of. Because in here there's no such direction as out. Lies a bitch, and then your infinite and I never made it to Memphis. 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 I never made it. I never made it to PEI. Really, I didn't. Was, the airport was sucked in. I couldn't go. Anyway, that's not true. So, uh, But this is true. These are the songs that you have heard. I would not lie to you about that. I will lie to you about anything else, including imaginary trips to uh, Iceberg Alley. Okay? One day. One day. I'm, I'm going to get there. I swear. Start out with Dizzy Gillespie in the land of Oobladi. Uh, that was a nice little story. Little, um, yeah. Uh, Viagra in the Waters was the four bitchin' babes. Um, boy, have they had a revolving thing, pretty much um, revolving around uh, Christina Lavin. Uh, but there's been so many others. Patty Larkin, I don't know, you name them. Anyway, that was them. Four bitchin' babes, Viagra in the Water. Bond is a four-letter word, speaking of Viagra. That was uh, Billy Howard from 1975. Um before Viagra was discovered, or at least released to the world. Let's see, we heard Ray Stevens, the great storyteller. That was the Red Hot Texas Chili Cook-Off. Don't. <laughs> Don't, all right? Uh, I, I did one in New Jersey, and it was just like, wah! And that's New Jersey, all right? Too high on the stump? Buzz Martin, another storyteller of Tales of the Woods, you could say. Uh, we heard from Dale Ann Bradley from around 2006. That was... Run, Rufus, run. Something fairly recent. There you go. There you go. From 2006. Fairly recent. That's fairly recent around here. Abner J. Well in it on 99 years in jail. He did not sound happy. 
Uh, let's see. Tom T. Hall, Tale of an Unrepentant Scallywag. Turn it on, turn it on, turn it on. His last defiant wish. What a guy. Riding with Private Maloon was David Ball. And then we heard Mick Farron and Jack Lancaster. Well, I don't know what Jack Lancaster had to do on that. But anyway, that was Memphis Psychosis. And he never made it to Memphis. Me either, actually. Hmm. All right, anyway, um, we're about to reach the end of things here. I got two more for you. One that you might like and one that you might not. You tell me, and uh, meanwhile, have a good rest of the show, have a good rest of the week, etc., etc. Make a good year out of it, okay? That's the least we can all do for each other, all right? So, see you next time. Next week. I don't know what I'll do for you, but I will. I will. I will. Time of battles had it worn here away. Eddie regarded his sweet smelling rival and began to attend to the business at hand. The condom dispenser and the 60 watt light bulb bore silent witness to the cake's final stand. Eroding, eroding, eroding away. Oh, the cake she was bound to go under that day. Eroding, eroding, eroding away And with one final flush she was gone Old Eddie fumbled into a launch position Drunkenly struggling to undo his fly The cake stood prepared for her suicide mission To stand through the deluge of the oncoming tide The urinal cake stared at old Eddie Prager Or maybe it would have if it had had eyes Eddie unloaded his Schlitz Ryan Jaeger The cake sat there slowly reducing in size Come with a shiver A deep forest silence pervaded the room He thought about waterfalls, fountains and rivers And soon enough Eddie's bombardment resumed 
The outcome, of course, was a foregone conclusion. Valor and bravery wasted in vain. She broke into pieces in the swirling profusion. The push of a lever, and she spun down the drain. Eroding, eroding, eroding away. Oh, the kick she was bound to go under that day. Eroding, eroding, eroding away. And with one final flush, she was gone. Old Eddie Prager returned to his bender. Never to think of the conflict again And long after closing time Joe the bartender Placed a new cake where the old one had been Eroding, eroding, eroding away Oh, the cake she was bound to go under that day Eroding, eroding, eroding away And with one final flush she was gone yeah! Eroding, eroding, eroding away Oh, the cake she was bound to go under that day Eroding, eroding, eroding away And with one final flush she was gone very ill. When I came home that night, I found her body stiff and still. We haven't any garden, cause we're living in a flat. So what could I do with the body of the cat? And a great big paper bag I spied. And I placed the body of the cat inside. And off I went with the body in the bag, the body in the bag. Stepped into a restaurant, though I didn't care to eat. Twas just an excuse to leave my burden underneath the seat. But hard luck sure pursued me, I was simply out of luck. But the waitress followed me around the block, I tried to duck. And I had to thank the silly fool and tip her half a buck for bringing me a body in the bag. Off I went with the body in the bag, the body in the bag. went down to the railroad, and I laid it on the line. I thought I'd wait for Casey Jones, cause he's a friend of mine. The night was dark, the train came hearing swiftly down the track. As it came a roaring path, I got an awful whack. In a dirty, smelly, muddy ditch, I landed on my back, cuddling the body in the bag. Off I went, with the body in the bag. The body in the bag. I found myself inside the park upon my hands and knees. And I hurled the bag with a deadly aim into a clump of trees. And a voice cried out, oh heavens. And a great big husky chap said, what's the big idea, Bo? Are you looking for a scrap? What do you mean by throwing that bundle in me sweet patootie's lap? 
And he soaked me with the body in the bag. Off I went with the body in the bag, the body in the bag. Suddenly from out the bag, there came a plaintive meow. Said, Puss, I've come to life again. You needn't bother now. Anyone can tell you that a cat has lots of lives. And I'm entitled to nine of them. I'm one of your tomcat's wives. I usually have my families in threes and fours and fives. And there's seven little bodies in the bag. So she took the high road, and I took the low road. And she got home before me. Now Pussy and her family are often heard to brag about the night they fooled me with the body in the bag.